Guide. Welcome to another episode of The Light Bulb Factory, conversation centered on the church becoming the light of the world. This episode is a recording from College Hour, our weekly college ministry gathering at First Baptist Church Waco. If you are a college student in the Waco area, we would love to have you join us any Sunday at 9 a.m. in the College Lounge, where we talk about the way of Jesus together and discern what it looks like to live it out together as a community. It is a... It's good to be back together with you again. Uh, even if Ryan did put me on uh, right after showing newborn baby photos on the screen, I get to follow that. So uh, thanks, man. Real cool, Ryan. If, I was, if I'd been prepared for this, I could have brought some photos of my daughter, Mary Brandon. Uh, you know, she, uh, she's been learning a little bit of, of sign language as, uh, as she's in daycare. Uh, they, they teach her some things. She can do, she can do please. She can do thank you. Uh, she does all done when she's finished eating. Yesterday we worked on Go Bears. Right? So uh, this is going to be great content for the podcast, visual media, right? Sorry, Joao. How many of you guys uh, <coughs> growing up uh, were in a church where you talked about uh, going to Sunday school, maybe, maybe there was children's church or something like that, and then you had big church? Any, any big church people in the room? I still call it big church. I've been, I've, I've been on staff here for four years. I talk about going to big church. It, it doesn't go away. Well, when I was a little, little guy, uh, three, four years old, my parents decided it was about time for me to come to big church. Uh, I'd been going to the nursery for a couple of years. They said, you know, it's time to start start moving in, figuring out how, how the big people do the big church thing. They knew this was going to be a step, going to be a process. So they started me out on a Sunday night. Uh, we had a Sunday night service, the whole, the whole church there together. My dad said, hey, uh, you're going to come in. I want you to sit beside me and sing the songs, pray the prayers. When it gets to the sermon, uh, he said, hey, I, I don't expect you to listen to every word. Let's bring a crayon. Let's bring Several crayons, actually. Uh, I only brought one today, but had a whole box of crayons, brought some paper, a coloring book for me, said, just sit there, draw a color. You can, you can listen in a little bit, but, uh, you know, just be quiet. Don't bother anybody, and you'll be fine. I said, all right, Dad. Sounds like I can do this. So we're there. Uh, it turns out there was a guest preacher that evening, and my dad admits, even to this day, he said, this was a long sermon. It went on and on and on. My dad was nervous. He was, you know, I'm his first child. This is my first night in, in big church. Uh, I was perfect, y'all. I was so great. I was sitting there just, just coloring away, not making a peep. My dad, honestly, uh, I, I don't think he had much faith in me. He, he kept expecting Oh, Josh is about to lose it. Oh, he's about to he's about to go nuts. This is gonna be bad. I just kept coloring away. Everything was cool. Everything was fine. The preacher's going on and on and on. And some of the senior adults are getting antsy. They're like, "It's time to wrap this up." You know, Matlock's about to come on TV. We gotta we gotta get home. I'm coloring away. All of a sudden, I I think my dad must have seen some expression on the preacher's face looking back toward him, or, or maybe he was just looking over. Uh, as he tells the story, he says, uh, he was going to, you know, kind of pat me on the arm, saying, you're doing great, buddy, way to go. He turns to look at me. I've taken my red crayon, 
I've done one of these. I've drawn a red octagon. Uh, I, I probably didn't write STOP on there. That would have been pretty impressive for a three-year-old, but you never know. But I definitely, definitely got the point across. It was, it was time to wrap things up. I knew it. Everybody in the room knew it. That preacher needed to know it. So I let him know. Well, why do I tell this story? It, it occurs to me now, this is, this is a dangerous story to tell as I'm starting to teach. This, this could backfire, but hey, I'm committed now. Here we go. Um, we are looking at 1 Peter 3 today. I invite you to turn there with me. I think the letter, this first letter of Peter would have really bothered three-year-old Josh. Uh, it's, it's not a long letter. Uh, if it was read out loud, it would not be an especially long sermon. Only five chapters. It's, it's 105 verses. It's, it's less than 2,500 words. Uh, some of y'all will probably write some papers next month longer than the book of First Peter. Um, you, could, you could read this thing out under 20 minutes. But here we come right to the middle of the book today. We're in chapter 3. Right there in the middle, right in the center, Peter says, Finally, he's like a preacher saying, in conclusion. I knew in the same church growing up, if, if the preacher ever said, in conclusion, oh, buckle up, there's, there's about 20 minutes yet to go. I hear that thing, I'm thinking, you know, it's, it, it's time to wrap things up, it's time to move things along. But here, in chapter 3, right, almost dead center of the letter, Peter says, finally, Hear these words from 1 Peter, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Finally. What in the world is Peter doing saying finally here when he's going to go on for two and a half more chapters? What, what, what is he wrapping up? What's, what's final about this? Well, He's concluding not the entire letter, not, not his entire message, but, but this section that, that has been going all the way since, since verse 11 of chapter 2, talking about the witness of the church living as, as aliens, as strangers in a pagan world. They're living in a world where they're different. They're living in a world where they don't fit in. In this middle section of the, the letter, Peter goes through one by one talking about different sorts of relationships where being connected to Christ is going to make them live differently than the world around them. In verse 12 of chapter 2, he had told them, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. He said, hey, these people may, may, you know, kind of lob some criticism and some insults your way. Uh, but deep down, even, even as they're, they're verbally critiquing you, they're going to be impressed with how you're living. It's going to look different. So what kind of relationships is Peter talking about here? 
Well, right after that, verse, verse 13 of chapter 2, he starts talking about the role as citizens of Rome. Uh, he talks about how they relate to the emperor. By implication from that, all the, all the kind of political leaders downstream from there. Verse 18, he shifts gears. He starts talking about slaves and masters, those relationships, uh, particularly talking to Christians who were enslaved. Uh, how, do they, how do they live faithfully in that circumstance? Chapter 3, he turns his attention again in verse 1. He starts talking about the relationship between wives and husbands. Now, this one is interesting to me. It's the only one of the three here where Peter speaks to both sides of the relationship. He starts out speaking to wives. Uh, in verse 7 of chapter 3, he gives instruction to the husbands. Uh, it makes me wonder, and only wonder this, uh, was this the only one of those three relationships that he was writing to Christians on both sides? Uh, the first one is easy. The, the emperor of Rome, certainly not a Christian at this point. Uh, some of them were citizens. Uh, he didn't have anything to say to the emperor as a believer. Um, I wonder about the slaves and masters. Uh, it, might it be the case that at this point, uh, none of the Christians were, were owning their sisters and brothers anymore? Uh, there's other places of scripture that's not the case, but, but here I wonder if that might be. But certainly he said, hey, there's, there's believers who are husbands and believers who are wives. Our relationship with Christ is going to transform both sides of that marriage covenant. But now in verse 8, he comes to finally, uh, he starts wrapping it up, talking about all of us. Everybody gets to play at this point. I should say before I get there, uh, with these prior relationships, Peter is not endorsing any of these circumstances. Uh, he's, he's not saying that the empire is right. Uh, he's certainly not saying that slavery is right or good. Uh, it's not. Uh, he's not saying that patriarchy was right or good. Um, he's recognizing the world as it is. Uh, he's telling them, hey, these are, these are some broader kind of social patterns that you don't unilaterally have the power to change. Uh, but we need to live faithfully within it. Think about kind of some comparisons today. Uh, some people might think having a two-party political system is, uh, is just unhealthy. It's not good. Uh, maybe there's a better way to select our leaders. But the fact of the matter, for the foreseeable future, we're going to have a two-party system. And so maybe we work to change that. Maybe we don't, but we recognize that it's how it is. Uh, some people think maybe, maybe an income tax isn't the best way to to fund our government and our, our society. I doubt the IRS is going away anytime soon. Uh, so pay your taxes. <laughs> um, some people think football is, uh, should be done away with. I think they're wrong. <laughs> uh, but you know, in Texas, certainly they're not gonna carry the day for the time being. So <laughs> if, if they wanna change anything, they need to figure out how to operate within these kind of social patterns that are, that are widely agreed on. That, that's what Peter is trying to do here. With verse 8, finally, all of you. Uh, he starts talking to the whole community and talks about their, their conduct towards one another. All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. These are really simple instructions. Uh, I don't have a whole lot 
to explain these ideas to you. I think you know what he's talking about, uh, but it's a high call. It's, it's simple, but not easy. It tells him, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Peter challenges our instinct towards fight or flight response, uh, right? You all have heard of this before. When, when we come up against opposition or especially if we feel threatened, uh, our instinct is either going to be sort of bow up and get defensive and, and fight. Uh, it says, don't do that. Knock it out. Don't repay evil for evil. If somebody insults you, don't come right back at them. Uh, the flip side of that, sometimes we have a temptation just run away. Um, we're going to retreat if somebody is uh, physically threatening us or, or, or even just, you know, threatening the way we feel. We say, hey, I'm, I don't need this. I'm just going to get out of here. I'm just, I'm going to leave. I'm going to cut off this relationship and be done and, and go and do my own thing. Uh, Peter says, at, at least as a general pattern, uh, that's not what we're called to either. Uh, now there may be particular circumstances where it, it comes to that place. But Peter doesn't say, people treat you wrongly when people say insulting things about you, just take off. No, he says, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. Is remain in connection with these people, remain in relationship with them, and be a blessing to them. Leslie Newbegin was a, was a missionary from England, uh, spent decades in India doing mission work and, and thought a lot about that and, and how the, the church relates to the, the broader culture. One of the things he talked about is there's two dangers uh, for the church. On the one hand, there's the danger of syncretism. Uh, that means when our beliefs and our practices just become sort of so enmeshed with the surrounding world that we're no longer different at all. Uh, he said you can, you can just sort of blend in and assimilate to where you're really not distinctly Christian at all anymore. Um, in Peter's setting, he doesn't really envision that as a problem. He, he basically says, hey, you're, you're just weird and you're going to be weird. You're not going to fit in this world. <laughs> Syncretism was not a risk. Uh, the second danger that, that Newbegin talked about was the danger of irrelevance. Um, we can become so different and so distinct uh, that we're just sort of separated out from the world entirely. Uh, I think Peter would, would add to that description saying, hey, we can become irrelevant by our combat, uh, by repaying evil for evil and insult for insult by, by bowing up and having a, a, just a thin skin. Uh, if we're always swinging back at the world, they're just going to get tired of hearing us and probably they're going to pull away. Or we can become irrelevant by retreat. I'm saying, you know, it's just the mirror image. We're, we're tired of these slings and arrows from the world. We're, we're going to go and do our own thing. And there's, there's voices out there, Christian voices, honestly, uh, that are saying, it's time for that. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a hostile world. Let's just go back to our own communities and set up our own organizations and, and just be done with everybody. Let's scrub our hands of it. Um, I think Peter calls us to a different and a better way. Rather than fight or flight, uh, 
Peter gives a different prescription. He, he tells them, on the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called. Uh, he says, you've, you've got work to do, and it's not just, uh, not just trying to be peaceful, but actively work for the good of these people that you are, are disagreeing with. Um, mentioning blessing uh, reminds me of the call of Abraham. Uh, Peter has just mentioned Abraham just a few verses prior to this in the, in the section about marriage, uh, talking about Abraham and Sarah and their relationship to each other, uh, which incidentally, uh, for, for all of us, but especially ladies, uh, Sarah was not uh, just a, you know, kind of meek pushover of a woman. She, she definitely had opinions and ideas and, and shared them with Abraham uh, freely, even as they cooperated with each other. But from the very beginning, God's, God's very first call to Abraham is found in Genesis 12. There he told him, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So right from the start, this call to Abraham and this, this promise of God that the Lord was going to bless him uh, was intended that he was going to be this, this conduit, kind of this, this pipeline for the Lord's blessing to ripple out to other people. Uh, I think Peter picks up on that idea here, uh, but even strengthens it. Uh, you see in Genesis, God promises uh, basically kind of, hey, People are going to be treated according to how they treat you, Abraham. If they bless you, then I will bless them. Uh, if they curse you, I will curse them. Here, Peter, Peter amplifies it, makes it stronger, saying, hey, those, those who curse you, those who treat you with evil, be a blessing to them. And uh, Peter also kind of inverts the order. Uh, you notice in Genesis, the Lord had said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and then you go and bless others. Uh, Peter says, repay evil with blessing so that you may inherit a blessing. Uh, according to how you treat people, uh, that is how you will be blessed. Now, I don't think these two ideas are, are as opposed or as opposite as maybe uh, I'm making it sound. Uh, I think it's this cycle of blessing all the way through. As God has been good to us, we are good to others. And the Lord is good to us, and we are good to. Uh, I think it's uh, there's iterations to this, and so uh, I do think that Peter is making clear and strengthening some of the things that that were always there in that call of Abraham. He continues, uh, verse ten. He he quotes from Psalm thirty four. Tells his readers, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Going back, uh, I've, I went back and read through all of Psalm 34. Uh, the, the heading at the top of that psalm connects it with the story of David and says, uh, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. That's an, that's an interesting heading. You know, if I saw that in the top of our hymnal before, like, How Great Thou Art or something, like, <laughs> what, what's happening here? Uh, 
well, you go back to the story of David. Uh, this was a time he had, he had been anointed king, uh, but Saul was still king in Israel. Uh, it's kind of a precarious situation to be anointed king, uh, but not king. Uh, the, the actual king tends to not be real thrilled with that. And Saul certainly wasn't. Um, had chased him out of kind of the royal court and, and eventually out of the country. Uh, says as David was was in the courts of of Abimelech, uh, Abimelech was a king of the Philistines. Uh, think back to your story of David. The the main Philistine we connect him with is Goliath. Uh, Philistines were their their big enemies, uh, but things had gotten so so hostile for David at home that that he had to pull out uh, from Israel, go there and. Uh, and hang out in this foreign country and pretend to be insane. Uh, and even there, he was saying, watch out how you live. Even there, uh, he was thinking about how to be a blessing for others. B.H. Uh, Carroll, who was pastor here at First Baptist uh, many years ago, uh, you'll pass by his photo as you head up to the sanctuary this morning. He's the one with the, the great big long beard. Uh, we said here, uh, Peter, through this psalm, gives three directions for a happy life. So, three steps for a happy life. I'm, I'm interested in that. Let's hear him. So, watch out what you say. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. Number two, watch out what you do. Turn from evil and do good. And number three, uh, maybe... Maybe the hardest one, watch out what you pursue. Psalm says, seek peace and pursue it. Um, a little like we talked about two weeks ago, uh, we've got to turn the inclinations of our heart. I think the, our speech and our actions are all downstream from that. Watch what we say, what you do, and what you pursue, what you're oriented toward. Peter continues on, Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. There's that idea of blessing again. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter turns here and he starts talking about uh, outright persecution. He, he starts out with just a general kind of principle. He says, who's going to harm you if you're doing good? <laughs> if you're being a good citizen, if you're being a good neighbor, if you're treating your family well, if you're kind to your friends, who's going to have a problem with that? And generally, I think he's right. Uh, we behave well towards people. Things tend to go well for us. But in the very next moment, Peter kind of concedes, hey, it's, it's not that cut and dry. It's not always that simple. Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Peter acknowledges, he, he knew as well or better than anyone, that uh, some people 
will resent you and persecute you precisely for doing what is right. And Peter said, in those situations, you are blessed. Peter remembered Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount saying, blessed are you when people persecute you, when people speak evilly of you, when you're mistreated for the sake of righteousness. But Peter sees along with that a part of that blessing that it brings an opportunity for witness. He tells them, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And this comes back to the advice from B.H. Carroll about seeking what is right, seeking what is good. He said, fix your hearts on Jesus. Also tells them, control your speech. Tells them, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Uh, see, see these occasions of persecution as an opportunity for testimony, for witness. And finally, control your actions. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. Set your hearts on Christ as Lord. Be ready to give an answer, but do it in a peaceable way. Do it with kindness and with gentleness. Do it in a way that recognizes Christ loves your enemy just as much as he loves you. This is a tall order. On our own, we, we could not manage this. And uh, that's why Peter points us back to the core of the gospel, to the story of Christ himself. Christ also suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. It's put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Same way Peter's reminding them, hey, none of us are above the master. If Jesus was mistreated, we will be as well. But that same spirit that restored him to life will restore us, will strengthen us, will prepare us. So we have a chance in times of conflict, in times of uh, disagreement, We've got decisions to make, right? We can fight. That one's on the table. That's an option. Uh, we can fly away. We can run. We can retreat. We can hide. Uh, but Peter points us towards this third way, uh, kind of a mediating way of bearing witness, giving testimony of the hope that we have, uh, empowered by the Spirit, emboldened by the example of Christ.